1159 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this the wall is your song. <laughs> Hey, welcome everybody to our Daily Gun Show. We come to you live every day at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 4 Pacific for about an hour or 90 minutes each day. We do three different gun-related topics, uh, different topics throughout the week. Uh, we run it live on YouTube where we're watching, and then we simulcast it over at gunchannels.com where we're watching the live comments from people that are watching us live. Uh, when it's all over, we'll take the audio from that, and we'll post it as a podcast on iTunes. So we appreciate everybody who listens to the show now or in the future. And if you would, we ask you to leave some comments, subscribe to our channels, leave, uh, give us a rating, whatever, thumbs up or heart or whatever it happens to be. All that lets us know where you are. It also helps us to get recommended to more listeners. So we do appreciate that favor. Uh, there's five guests or five hosts. Uh, two, three of us are in here today. Uh, we've got Bob jumping in from Albuquerque today. Thanks for joining. Uh, glad to be here. We got Dano jumping in from Illinois. Thanks for joining. Glad I could make it. And Smeggy, it sounds like he won't be here today. He has his job comes first, so he's working. Um, um, Z will come in in about an hour or so when his nine to five is over. I'm um, down here in Arizona, and we also have a special guest today. We have Carl from In Range TV. Uh, Hello, also Tucson. Thanks for jumping in. Thank you. So we're going to change the format a little bit today, uh, since we got Carl on. Um, we have some stuff we'll do once uh, once we're done with this topic, but we're going to talk about new media. Uh, this is something I've been interested in ever since I started doing internet stuff, and I know Carl is passionate, as knowledgeable he is about internet or about um, guns and stuff. He's just as knowledgeable, if not more so, about the internet. And uh, real pleasure to have you on. So, I guess to begin with, if you want to give us a little bio, I'm, I'm sure most people that are listening know who you are, but just to give people an idea of who we're talking to. Yeah, sure. I don't know if everybody's seen it. I mean, InRange is a fairly big channel, but there's a lot of channels out there that are way bigger than we are. Um, uh, InRange is, I don't know, if you look at direct subscribers, we're somewhere around 100,000 subscribers. But if you combine in my association as sister channel to Forgotten Weapons, you're talking about essentially over a half a million people. Um, so um, <clears throat> the InRange focuses more on the practical use of firearms and converges the convergence of current and modern technology with historical data. So we take a lot of old guns, new guns, put them to the test and figure out what really happened in the past, what's going on in the future, and what we're doing with things today that are right, wrong, or indifferent. So <laughs> that's kind of what InRange is, and that's why it's a sister channel of Forgotten Weapons, because we kind of bridge the gap between the two. And we also are seeing InRange turn into somewhat of a cultural channel. It's not just guns. It's um, We have an increasing emphasis on digital and internet security and rights, as well as a lot of other historical stuff, like some little voyages into food and things like that as well. So it, it's if you're into guns, you'll probably be into the stuff that's on InRange, even though not all the stuff is gun content. And so... I come to that um, as, again, a sister channel to Forgotten Weapons. InRange is a combined effort between me and Ian McCollum from Forgotten Weapons. So this is this channel is both of us. Forgotten Weapons is really Ian's thing, and I help out with that once in a while. But InRange is a combined effort between the two of us. And the reason you see the digital security stuff come into the gun stuff is um, I've also worked in the professional sector for over 20 years in information security from Tier 1 Internet backbone providers to standard corporations. So it's kind of a mix of all those things. Awesome. You guys are a great team, and obviously you've been doing excellent work. They're, you're, you're half, they're a quarter million subs or half a million, uh, whatever, is is not like over the course of 20, 10 years of doing this. This was fairly recent, so you guys 
have uh, have reached a, a point that a lot of people spend a lot more time getting to. I think that's a, a tribute to, attributed to how the kind of content, the excellent content you guys are putting out there. Well, thank you a lot. You know, it's never fast enough. You know, when you see when you're watching it grow, you want it to grow faster. But um, InRange is, oh, what are we at? Three, InRange is now two and a half years old, three, two and a half. And so it took about two and a half years to get to 100,000 subscribers on InRange or, or getting close to 100,000. Uh, Ian was doing Forgotten Weapons, I think, for five years, five or something like that, three years before we started InRange. And he's at now half a million or 400 something thousand or whatever it is now. So you have to combine the two. But InRange by itself, is, is nearing 100,000. Um, and as we talk later in the discussion today, it's going to be hard to figure out what those numbers are because we're um, decentralizing, which means a single point of reference for how many people watch our content won't be something we can reference very soon in the near future. And that's what I was going to say. Those half a million subs, that's a tough number. It's a number we all are kind of accustomed to using, but that's because we've been so YouTube-centric lately in the last couple of years. So uh, that's something we'll get into. So you've mentioned that you've been doing uh, internet stuff for a long time. Uh, my question is, when did you first realize or when or maybe you realized this before you even got into the gig? But when did you figure out that this was going to be like the or I, I like to say the democratization of knowledge uh, transfer? Or, well, I mean, so you mean when did I? OK, I guess let me let me rephrase your question to how I think I heard it. So when did I understand the importance of the Internet in terms of what it could mean to the future? Is, is that what you mean yeah. by that? Or are you OK, yeah. Um, yeah. honestly, quite early on, um, I was. Um, I guess in terms of um, of Gunland or whatever, maybe the viewers are. I think the average demographic for this kind of content is somewhere between what, like 18 and 34, something like that. Um, I'm in my early 40s, so I've been doing, I've been working in that information security sector for 20 years. But I was working, I was online before that, and I was really online before. Not before the internet, but before the internet. The internet wasn't always a commercial endeavor that was accessible to the average individual, right? It was ARPANET and all that was like experiments going on in the background from the government side of things. And so it wasn't something that a lot of people were on. But before the internet became something that was a consumer thing, uh, there were burgeoning versions of that. There were online BBSs, which are generally geographically located. So you would actually use your phone with a modem to get to a board and you hopefully it wasn't a busy signal and you get on there. And then we started to see those kind of bulletin boards connect to one another. Uh, form like little networks of their own where they would dial into one another, form a bridge, and then one BBS would talk to another BBS, and then you'd have something like what was called major BBS, which you'd have a, a, a docket of 34 or 40 or 50 or 60 modems with 60 phone lines, and people would connect to that, and you would all be online at the same time and play generally text-based of the games, or you'd be in a chat room, or you'd exchange files or whatever. So that was all going on before the internet became a common household thing, and I was doing that way early on. I mean, Quite honestly, I was before I was even a teenager, I had a, a Commodore PET with a chiclet keyboard and an acoustic coupling jack 110 baud modem. So I would actually use a rotary phone, dial a number, listen to the noise, stick it into the coupling jack, all of like war games, if you remember that old show movie, and it would connect on to my Commodore PET, and I was online way back then. So kind of grew up with it. I mean, I, I guess, frankly, I was probably one of the first generations to ever get to have such an opportunity. So when uh, as things grew and we saw this this neural net of network not neural but network of networks connecting and bbs's connecting to one another and the power of what you could do uh, very early on became very obvious to me i mean we're talking late 80s early 90s you started seeing things like the advent of freaking where people with something as simple as a whistle out of a cereal box could take over an entire tel entire telephone system and make free long distance phone calls i mean when you, when you realize that one, the facade of security is just that, it's an illusion. And then the secondary thing is that 
these systems are um, powerful and what you can do with them is powerful and that the ability for the individual to do incredible amounts of things started really in the late 80s, early 90s, even pre-internet. Right on. Yeah, I was kind of the same boat. I mean, I was hardcore into it, but my parents were both connecting to the internet for their jobs with old-ass computers. And uh, I thought that was interesting, but kind of boring. Then I kind of got out of it uh, for the 90s there. I started working for AOL back in the day here in Tucson, and that's where I got an experience to see uh, all these different uh, people with different knowledge sets, but just totally creative. And some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes, like people were doing in their closets and you know running their own uh, modem banks and stuff uh, to do different things is where I started to see the potential of this thing. And uh, it was frustrating working for AOL because at the time it was sort of like the internet and it was frustrating so it was really cool for me to see the the expiration of that and the kind of opening up of the websites and the the forums and stuff and the development since then has just been you know it's funny you bring up aol because the analogies are apt um there are a lot of people back in those days that thought aol was the internet and aol was not the internet aol was its own private network that didn't even at one point actually early on in aol didn't even have connectivity to the internet it was its own network it was a private network you would dial into and then later on they connected oh there it is yeah there's the captain crunch whistle um the uh my my signed uh, apple II. Sweet, that's cool. And so um, back then, AOL didn't even connect to the internet, but they uh, they did uh, eventually form a bridge to the internet when they were trying to save their own methods and, and marketing methods, but and their consumer base. But at that time, there were a lot of people that thought AOL was the internet, even though it wasn't. And oh yeah, and that was that was definitely designed, and that was the frustrating part, seeing what the internet could be, and then working for a place that did everything they possibly could to mask the potential to keep people in there. So it was fun, to, it was liberating to get away from that. And to start playing on it ourselves, and now that you know it's a decade or so, a couple of decades I guess later, uh, seeing the development is awesome. Actually, the most frustrating thing is the kind of YouTube centricity that we've got lately, and then the Facebook. Well, I've been waiting for those to fail so that we can get. Well, I don't know that they'll fail, but it's exactly the same problem, right? People thought AOL was the internet, and they had this this kind of stranglehold on the people that didn't know better. I'm not calling them stupid. I'm saying they were ignorant in the in the true definition of the word, and that they didn't. They didn't know better, and so they were in this cage, didn't know they were in a cage, didn't know the true possibility of what they could be connecting to, and didn't understand the ramifications of that cage. And then AOL kind of fell apart, and then that aggregation of control sort of collapsed, and then the internet became a more democratized thing. But now we're seeing the exact same thing again when you look at let's say really honestly the three biggest or actually it's really the two biggest facebook and google because youtube is a is a port part of um google at this point um those two i mean apple doesn't even play into this really we're talking online connectivity here they those really two, tried but they they just i think they were trying to be too restrictive right with their whole itunes thing and people were eh, you know what they're they're a different thing in my opinion they're not a, they're not a community they're not a provider of of social networking content they tried and failed they're just not good at it but when you look at the people that control the the, the information stream so like facebook is people don't look at the news anymore the average individual watches facebook and they get their information stream whether it's right or wrong true or true or false they get their news a lot of people a very large percentage predominantly from facebook and the um uh, the people that want to watch content that isn't tv well they watch youtube and so it used to be 
those things are both good and bad. I'm not saying Facebook's bad. And I'm not even saying that YouTube is bad. But the reality is, is that we've been living on them so long and just accepted them as the status quo, much like that old AOL cage, that we've sort of forgotten that there's other alternatives out there. And that when shenanigans occur in places like YouTube or Facebook, it doesn't mean you have to burn them down. But we should realize that it's a cage with an open door. <laughs> it's What's not that? locked. You exactly. can walk out. Exactly. And that's, that's the start of this topic today is new media. And, and that's the part where, um, or that's the, uh, I guess, where I see this, like, recent thing with YouTube going on as being a, a step, again, towards people waking up and realizing, oh, yeah, there is other options out there. Um, but as far as, like you say, people going to Facebook for news and stuff, I'm assuming that you, that you see some influence there with the, the recent election. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I don't think it's a, uh, I, I, we don't touch politics much on InRange, but when we're talking about to, 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 that's for other channels. But when we talk about, when you talk about, if you want to talk about the influence of the internet in terms of a lot of political things, it's irrefutable in, in positive and negative ways. The reality is that democratization of the voice of the people is a real thing. Um, however, the ability for something that's wrong or incorrect, and I'm not even saying things some, that w what happened was right or wrong, but I'm saying the ability for something that's wrong to be accepted as common knowledge is also a, a very real risk. It is, but we're a free people. I mean, that's the whole point of this country. So I think we've got a bunch of individuals who are willing to accept the, they just need to realize it's there. Oh yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, as an American, when it comes down to, if you give me the choice between safety and freedom, I'll choose freedom anytime. So is it, is, 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 is the, is the, if the internet is truly left to be completely democratized, is it more dangerous? Yes. But I'd prefer it. I'd prefer that to the alternative. Absolutely. Now we're talking about well, we're bringing you on today because of this whole thing that's been going on with YouTube. But we're talking. We're um, you, you. I think you, if you go to Inrange uh, YouTube channel, I put a link in there for everybody. On your main page there, the video you have up uh, to greet visitors is a conversation with you and Ian from Sunday. And I think Ian said it uh, that this is the the internet basically is the the the, the form of true First Amendment. I think I'm, I'm saying it wrong, but he, he basically said that this was the uh, realization of the real First Amendment, of the First Amendment. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, he he kind of says that. We're paraphrasing there, and, and I might take it to a different... Being a technologist of sorts, and honestly, I kind of fall into, into almost a Ray Kurzweil-type transhumanism-type approach to this. I really do believe that we're seeing evolution of humans. <laughs> I really do. I think that the internet and the computer technology we use, including the smartphone in our pockets, has, has changed the way people and society function and think. And we have not had an opportunity, as, as good as we have it right now with the internet, to be able to make that a real thing than we've ever had in the, in the, in the history of mankind. I mean, we saw, when you go way back to like Martin Luther King and the Gutenberg Press, there were people that were told by the Catholic Church, this is what the Bible says, you do this. And they, they spoke German, and the Catholic Church worked in Latin, and you didn't know what was in that book. It was this black box full of magic words. And then Martin Luther King comes along and says, ah, I refute that. You're saying a bunch of stuff that's not correct. And while we're at it, let's translate this book into German so people can read it. And then the technology of the Gutenberg Press allowed them to mass distribution allowed the mass distribution of the text in a way that the average person who was at least literate enough to read it. And the internet, in my opinion, if we don't let that slip away, is the next iteration of a chance for not only America, but the entire world to uh, break the chains of control of data information and flow. 
Exactly. That's a great way to summarize it. I think of it, I've, I've explained it before, that the way I perceive it is that as, as a group, as a bunch of humans, like you're saying, we, we're evolving. We're figuring out that there was this old media where the, the, the agenda-based message was pushed out and there was very little opportunity for feedback other than your purchasing habits, really. And, and those are the kind of things that guided it. Uh, and to some extent, the agenda of where was creating it. Uh, but now with this uh, ability to uh, do interactivity like we're doing now, we have people commenting right now as we're speaking. Uh, the conversation can adapt to that and you know, organically. Uh, but also it's in, empowering people with the craziest ideas to have a platform. And it's allowing the individuals who are viewing this stuff or in, in ingesting it to choose what they want to watch. Uh, I really think that it's it's a good time. It's an interesting time, a fun time to be on the internet and doing this stuff. It's an exciting time, and you know these are the kind of things that that if we are, well, it's hard to it's it's you gotta have, you gotta keep the faith because there's a lot of things that aren't working in our interest, but there's a lot of things that are working in our interest. And the thing that's most important for us to maintain this internet and this 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 methodology of communication that's that's unseen to you. I mean, the internet's what? I mean, in reality, in the consumer, uh, to the consumer, the internet's really how old? 94? Like 90, 95? Yeah, but to, yeah, maybe. I'm saying like 2000-ish, as I usually throw it. Yeah, for the average person. So, I mean, you're talking 20 years? In 20 then, years, can you imagine? People can't remember how the world worked before the internet. We, we've already forgotten. We've forgotten. No, before cell phones. I mean, we jumped from cell phones to the internet almost immediately. And now even on the internet, we've gone from the AOL to the Facebook, but more importantly from like, broad, you know, dial-up connections like you were referring to before, to now broadband and now phones that can do unlimited broadband. Yeah, it's just changing the way that we... It's changing the way we... Go ahead. It took 70 years to get from flying to going to the moon, right? It won't take that long for us to get. We've already got commercial space travel. Well, that's, that's the thing with technology is that it continuously it increases at a, at a more rapid rate. Um, the uh, there is what took a hundred years, two hundred years ago, now takes ten years. That's just the nature of the beast. Now we're having to um, to in, to to grow with it. We're having to figure out you know our footing. Uh, we're having to figure out. You know what is ours and what's what's there for us. Um, so I know that uh, one of the things you you've kind of talked about in the videos that I've seen is this uh, um, uh, taking uh, or at least acknowledging that we have the power here. And what are some ways um, to that we can maybe we take discussion. What are some ways that as individuals we can work towards that that goal of uh, fully democratizing it so that we'd have less control from the people that are just pushing or would love to just push out a standard boilerplate. Well, yeah, no, no doubt. You know, it's funny. Is I think the first thing we have to do is educate people that that's the reality of the situation. I like, just like you mentioned the people before that were on AOL and didn't know that they were on AOL versus the internet. We have a lot of people nowadays using this technology as users without actually grokking what the technology is. Um, grokking is to innately understand something, right? So to, if they don't know what they're using, they just use it it's very easy to get trapped in that. So it's, it's, it's no different than knowing how to change a tire in your car. And the reality is if you don't know how things basically work, the chance of you being controlled by it are much greater. So technology cuts both ways, just like a gun or a knife or anything, depending on what you use for it is for good or for bad or for something in between. And so I think step one is to 
go back and break the, the, the thinking that we're not, that this is not a truly democratized environment. It is, as long as you're willing to take the power back into your hands. And the other thing that really, the big paradigm shift of thinking that has to occur is who's the customer. And I've seen this with what we just did. So people that, that maybe don't realize what we did on InRange is we used to take, we were putting our videos on YouTube, YouTube being the 400,000 pound gorilla in the room of content distribution of video. And YouTube is not necessarily a negative. So we put that stuff there and it would, there would be what you call monetization and this is a thing called AdSense and AdSense sells advertisements to a whole bunch of large corporations and those ads are then paired to your video and then when someone watches your video they get an ad or they get a couple ads and then some of the money goes to Google slash AdSense, some of the money goes into your pocket and on top of that what Google will do is use algorithms to promote your content to other eyeballs. So since YouTube has a huge, huge, absolutely insanely large user base, they can start promoting your content to people they think it will match with. Those people in theory subscribe to your channel. Over time, you have 100,000 subscribers or 200,000 subscribers. Therefore, you have you know some larger view number and the larger view numbers equate to more income and blah, blah, blah. And that's how that works. The thing that's the paradigm shift here and that I think what, we, what I'd love to fix the thinking about here, if you just heard the way I described this whole system works, is who actually is the customer? So many people watching videos on YouTube think they're the customer and they're not, they're the product. They are the product for the people selling the advertising. The actual customer to YouTube isn't you, it's the people they're selling the, that, are, that are selling ads on their network. So if anything goes awry on YouTube and they suddenly decide to pull out their ads, they're going to do it for the benefit of their customer and their customer is not the content creator, the customer is not the viewer, the customer is the person buying the ads. There are two bases of customers, and that's where I, would, I guess I would, I guess, challenge your comments in regards to, uh, yes, I, I agree with what you're saying in regards to the product being the secondary information that they, uh, like YouTube or like Google, can sell to other distributors, you know, list of customers and the preferences and that sort of thing. But then there is, you know, you can't deny the products and services people are purchasing. There are two, There's the direct, obvious product, and then there's the indirect product which is what you're referring to. Well, the customer at that point buying a product isn't buying that from YouTube. The only direct customer of YouTube is someone who's paying for YouTube Red, and that's a very small number of actual viewers that are using it to watch content. So if you're saying if Toyota advertises on YouTube and then you go buy a Toyota, yes, you are a customer of Toyota. I agree with that. But if you're talking about YouTube in its context of just YouTube, the customers of YouTube and AdSense is, are, are Toyota, Verizon, whoever's buying uh, advertising or, sell, or selling advertising to them, or they're selling advertising to, excuse me. Um, the actual person who watches an ad and buys something isn't buying that from YouTube. Their YouTube is just the conduit from them to get, to get that advertising into their eyeballs. Does that make sense? Oh, no, I understand that part. But, you know, going with your uh, Toyota example, then Toyota can take that information and sell that information to third parties. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to get into I mean, third-party I mean, sale of personal that analogy that you're using for, for the internet, and I agree with you, I'm just saying that there's two layers of products. Directly. Okay. So the the the. the, the the aggregation and, and uh, uh, the 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 accumulation of personal data, metadata of what you do on the internet is a whole other product that many different individuals sell. And in fact, we actually did a video on that on InRange uh, two weeks ago. Um, there was a, the uh, there was a the FCC attempted to pass legislation that was going to prevent ISPs, amongst other things, in a giant large bill, from selling. Or excuse me, in a bunch of regulation, and uh, from selling 
um, your data that you do when you're on the internet. So when you go connect to the ISP and you go to surf the internet, all the data of your surfing habits, where you surf, when you surf, how often you surf, um, the kind of things you tend to look at, the, the websites you visit, how long you visit specific websites, that's all aggregated and connected, or con excuse me, logged by your internet service provider. And so that's another customer potentially, is that an ISP or some other intermediary, be it Google, Facebook, YouTube, can then take that customer data and then sell it. And that, that's another problem too, but that's a different conversation, I think. And that's the kind of thing that, well, I guess there's ways to be aware of that and to change your habits or your, your uses of the internet, I guess, to, to avoid that or at least direct that, that to where you yeah, want. Yeah, you're, you're talking about privacy there, and that's an extremely hard problem. That's a bigger yeah. one. Than, that's a bigger problem we're trying to deal with with YouTube right now. Exactly. We're talking more like this concept of new media. And like say, this is going to Nuts to all of us that are using YouTube, but I think in the bigger picture, as far as the internet's concerned, I really see it as empowering. Like I said, this is a really exciting time, except for the financial part of it. It's an exciting time to see that there's a. It's one of these changes. It's, you know, there's when we look back at this. Hopefully, if this does become a permanent switch for YouTube, which is not certain because we don't know, um, but if it does become a, enough of a permanent situation that. Because we're talking gun channels here, but you know, there's a lot of channels that are affected by this. Some of these channels that are probably multi-million dollar at this point, um, they might look for alternative ways, and that might uh, change the nature of the internet a bit, uh, depending on how big a ripple this ends up, the splash ends up being. Well, uh, heck, the biggest the biggest channel on YouTube, at least he was, I think he still is. The biggest channel on YouTube is PewDiePie, who has started off as just doing video game videos. He's been hit by this. This is not a gun thing. This is this this demonetization thing and their knee-jerk reaction to advertising dollars being pulled by the old media. Um, again, they're serving their customer, and their customer are the people that are want to buy advertising on YouTube. They're reacting to them. And so they don't care on the creator side who they stomp on right now because they're reacting to who their customer is, who are, who are those companies buying advertising. So I'm going to pause for a moment to talk to address some of the questions that are coming in. Um, one from Raphael out in Florida says, do you think the advertisers see the power of YouTube as a threat? And we're, I'm assuming he's talking about the advertisers that from YouTube. I think, go ahead, sorry. I don't know if you've seen that video. There's a video going around where a guy explains that, that the large companies that pulled their advertising from YouTube are either own or owned by, you know, the old media. And there's this concept or at least this theory on the perception of what happened that the old media sees this as a chance to kind of bite the new media in the jugular, let it die, and then continue the old paradigm. I fully agree with that, actually. I think that that's exactly part, that's at least a large component of what's going on. So so the new, the internet has, in the democratization of the data systems on the internet and the, be able to, the, the inability to control the flow of information has made it so that people no longer watch the old, some of us would refer to as lamestream media, right? You look, you turn on your TV and regardless of what bias you want, you pick channel A, B, or C, and you're getting this pre-chewed up fed pablum garbage uh, intermixed with really bad commercials uh, of which commercials account for 50% of your view time. Nobody wants to watch that crap anymore. It's garbage. And so the the audience has migrated, at least the, the more modern or younger audience, and even a good chunk of the older audience has moved away from that. People are disconnecting their cable connections. People are turning off their standard mass media TV feeds. People aren't subscribing to paper newspapers anymore, and they're going online. And so YouTube has, to a large degree, usurped what was cable network TV programming. And the, um, as a result, I, I do think that's a huge component of this. And you look at things like, for example, Verizon owns Yahoo, owns AOL, owns all these things, and these things are aggregating together. And when they see their control 
slipping away from them, their ability to go on TV and say whatever they want to say to control the common narrative slips away. Yeah, they don't like that. And they don't like watching their advertising money not they don't like seeing their advertising not generating them profits either. So I strongly believe that if you look at what's going on with the Wall Street Journal and their initial attacks against PewDiePie, which were demonstrably false, they're not what they said about him is complete garbage. They did not really retract what they said about him, and that's where this whole thing started. Um, and then the, the the advertising boycott hit YouTube. I strongly believe a large portion of their motivation for that is to kick a hole into the old media and try and re regain their control that they had with the kick a hole in the new media, excuse me, and regain the control they had with the old media and usurp the new media, what they think is the new media, which they consider to be YouTube, with their mechanisms. In fact, it is not a coincidence that a few days after this stuff hit the fan, they suddenly announced YouTube TV in which a whole bunch of the old media was going to be broadcasted on YouTube so you could watch it there too. Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. That's actually hit a question that Troubleshooter asked on the Gun Channel side if you thought that it had anything to do with the uh, YouTube TV coming out. I, I don't think I think they're directly related. I think I think kicking the teeth of the content creators and demonetizing a lot of them as a knee-jerk reaction to this is part of it. And then this YouTube and the reason you, YouTube TV was inevitably planned for a long time before this occurred. And then I, I would almost be willing to say it's social economic warfare and that people like the Wall Street Journal and the old media decided to wage a war on the new media and the content creators that are making a living off of that so that they could destroy some of the views that those people have and then their their garbage would again get eyeballs. Yes, I think that's a big part of it. I definitely want to touch on this like war on the new concept because you guys brought that up when you were talking on that. Again, if you go to his main page, this is the page that the, the video that they have there to welcome you to touch on that. but. I was going to play devil's advocate here for a second as as viewers as the as the you know these millions of people that are watching this and this is international at this point so it's not only in this country as as they get more sophisticated and people like yourself and Ian who are making interesting content that's not you're kicking people in the nuts or making fun of a news story or something like that you're you're giving them something to sink their teeth into as the audience has become more sophisticated and seek those kind of uh, entertainment platforms or those kind of content out do you think that it's possible that the old media will, because they're capitalists, that they'll see that? Or do you think that they'd rather drive it back to that old paradigm? I think they would only want to be able to drive what they think they can control. And I don't think that they would be able, I don't think they think that, for example, within range, for example, especially now, uh, between Ian and myself, they couldn't control our narrative. And if they can't control our narrative, they wouldn't want us. So, so they want absolute control of the content as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think they want to control, they want to control the content. They want to control the narrative. They want to control the advertising dollars. And they want to control what the average, I think, I'm not talking Illuminati stuff here, but I think that there's definitely an effort afoot by the old media to make sure that their their message, whatever that message is, um, is the narrative in the general public mindset. And the only way to do that is to control the message. Right, and you mean to some extent, they're, the message that they put out there, it's either an individual who has a, some reason to want some, some agenda or whatever, but I think most of the time it's just to wield that influence, that power. They're gonna go to a politician or a company such scale that it's worthwhile to them. They wanna be able to say, we can tell our people what the real is. They wanna be able to, to say we not only have an audience, but we tell the audience what you think. It's got to be something they got to be. Yeah, and, and, and nine times out of ten, it's not even necessarily anything politically motivated. Their message is just buy our crap. Yeah, it might be like <laughs> Coke over Pepsi or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Boy, Pepsi's poignant with their commercial. But the thing is, is like, so if you look at this, I, I'm not saying that corporations are inherently evil. I don't. I think that they're amoral. I think they do what they do in the best. I think that they do what they want to do that they think is in their interest. 
And so if you treat them as that, they are sometimes a symbiotic relationship in which you can work with a corporation and make a wonderful thing occur. And YouTube has been an example of that. YouTube has been a positive thing in general for a long time now. I'm not saying YouTube needs to be destroyed. I'm not saying that at all. But I'd like to see YouTube return to its roots, and I'd like to see YouTube real realize that they're that the, the content creators have way more power than they than they seem to acknowledge and that they should be tipping their hat at least 50 50 between the ad purchasers and the content creators not the knee-jerk reaction they're doing right now and so if you look at the advertisers and these corporations as amoral not immoral amoral they do whatever they think they need to do to, to give the advantage to themselves and you treat them in the natural order of things like a dog which is a natural predator sometimes it'll, you can pet the dog sometimes it'll bite you and you have to treat them with that level of respect because they can be helpful but also dangerous oh, well, I think another dynamic to it is that when you try to pump one thing out to so many people it's got to be bland garbage vanilla boring not offensive hardly informational blather in order to not offend and to, to, you know, to be accepted at least by the most amount of people. And that's the most frustrating thing is that what I've really loved about YouTube is that people can go on like a free flag fly and whatever they feel like doing, you know, they get an audience proportional to I mean, so InRange is obviously a predominantly gun-related content channel. So, but let's go ahead and take that. I mean, there's and there's lots of good uh, gun-related uh, channels on YouTube for sure. But let's go ahead and take an example of some of the people that are real popular on YouTube, and then let's take an example of gun shows that have been on regular TV. One of them just got convicted for multiple counts of child molestation, and the other one went to jail for tax evasion and fraud. Those are the people they pick for mainstream TV because they're real interesting personalities, not because of their knowledge, not because of the content they put out there. All they're trying to do is be sensationalist. And as a result, they tend to act, um, be magnetized and pulled into um, less than savory people, quite honestly. But the reason they, they, they pick people like that is because, as you mentioned, these nameless, faceless, soulless corporations, their only goal is money. And when your only goal is money, is it, it should be of no surprise that we're getting what, exactly what we're seeing because the only goal is money. That's it. I agree. That's the, that's the, that's more, the aim. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And to expect anything more out of a nameless, faceless, soulless corporation, kind of ridiculous. No, I agree with you entirely. I think I hope that you think that you're making that point because that's what I'm trying to say. They're amoral. They have their yeah. purpose, and that's only their purpose. And so yes. that's why it's important for us as content creators and viewers of such content to not let them do that. And we have that power. We really do. You know, it used to be, oh, I don't like this crap. You turn off the TV. Well, it's different now. It doesn't have to work that way. You could say, well, all right, YouTube's screwing with people. I'm going to go watch this over here. Or, you know what? I will support whoever I like directly instead of just relying on this simple, easy, lazy way. And, and I don't mean to be offensive, but we've all gotten caught up in this lazy lazy architecture. The, a lot of content creators are caught up in it. A lot of viewers are. And if we want to keep the democratization of the internet and keep the control of the data and have this communication and this message be something better and greater than that old lamestream media, we have to take that power back into our hands. That's, that's my message. And that's part of our show is to encourage people, to inspire people, and to inform them on these aspects of it. So let's get back to this war on the new media, which I, I mean, you guys summed it up. It just, I mean, I hadn't said it that way, but that's, that's definitely the way I perceive it. Um, I'm sure you might want to talk about that, but uh, we have two different levels of this. Us as creators, those of us that are creating, and our show hopefully cares to a bunch of people that are doing their own firearms-related content, uh, not just the big, you know, when we're saying creators, we don't mean just the 
Eric, uh, Iraqi veterans or the Hickok or anything. We're talking anybody who decides to put up some content and includes with that their firearms related stuff. Um, so we have creators end and then we've got the viewers end. And I think both of us have a lot of power uh, in this war on the new media. I, th I completely agree. And I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you have any uh, insight as to on both of those fronts, what we can do as individuals to well, that's where I was going. Yeah, I do, I do, and I and 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 I I I think we're doing this within range, and I'm hoping, quite honestly, I'd love to see more people join on to the concept. So, uh, whether it benefits in range or not, because I believe in the, I hope you can tell that I'm passionate about this and believe more in making sure that this problem is solved than I do in the success of my own channel. But the um my we're taking risky steps within range to a degree, although it's already showing that the, that a lot of people agree. And, and what I mean by that is, and I said lazy earlier, not to be offensive, because we are all in it, and I would agree, I would say I am just as guilty of that as anyone else, because when we started in range, we started putting content together. We initially tried to be really proactive and go only on Full30.com. Full30.com is a firearm-centric content distribution network, which has firearm-centric and friendly advertising. And we really tried for the first year of, full, of, of in range, go watch it on Full30. We're not gonna be on YouTube. And the reality is, this is where the viewer was lazy. They don't want to go to Full 30. Or Full 30, quite honestly, is not technically up to the same level of quality that YouTube is. It doesn't have an app for your iPhone or your Android device. It doesn't have an app for your Apple TV or your Chromecast or whatever. So people were like, ah, I don't want to deal with Full 30. I have to use my web browser. It's not as good. It doesn't stream as well. So they stuck to YouTube. And we realized, wow, we're not going to grow our channel unless we go to YouTube. So we started putting the content on YouTube. And then we started, that's when we honestly started seeing growth. And I'm thankful to YouTube for that because YouTube promoted our content. They monetized it. They allowed us to launch the rocket ship because without it, we would have had no monetization besides anything else. So then we started doing that and that started growing the channel. And then, you know what? This is where we as content creators got lazy. Then we went, oh, cool, perfect, easy. I mean, not easy making content, but easy to distribute the content. These are two different problems. And by the way, if you're not a content creator, it is a big time job. It's a lot of work. You got to get, you got to come up with the ideas. You got to film it. You've got to edit it. You've got to get it done in a way that sounds good. You have to, to the best of your ability. Then you have to upload the content, promote the content, blah, 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 blah. So it got really easy. You're like, okay, fine. We throw it up on full 30. We hope we get some views there. We throw it up on YouTube. YouTube does the rest. They put advertising on it. They promote it to people on their gazillion people network, and we sit back and wait for it to grow. Well, it did grow, and then when this demonetization thing happened, kind of really had a real wake-up call, and I went, wow, we're being lazy. Why are we relying on this intermediary third party to do a job we could be doing for ourselves that would be better for everyone, including the internet? And that's why we did our video of we demonetize. We said, you know what? I don't, I don't want your money anymore. In fact, if you bring advertising dollars back, you can keep them. And the reason you can keep them is, is a couple fold. One, it's on us as creators to give people other venues besides YouTube as a distribution point. And it's possible to do. You can put content, as much as you may hate them, on Facebook. You can put content on YouTube. You can put content on vidme.com. You could create your own server and put content up. You could use Amazon S3, put the content up there and distribute it that way. You can put it through BitTorrent. You could do, there's a there's a world, minds.com is another one. Um, Vimeo is another one. Um, there's all sorts of stuff you can do to decentralize the distribution of that content. You just have to promote it and it's more work to do it. And the days of, oh, let me throw it up on YouTube and wait for the viewers to come. I think those days, if they're not over, they should be. 
And we as creators stop being lazy and break apart the centralization of that content distribution network. And I keep YouTube, they're fine, but we should be more proactive in terms of distributing our content, promoting our content, and promoting the message through multiple decentralized channels so that one channel decides to close itself on us or close its doors. It doesn't matter because the internet allows us to provide it through 14 other venues. And that right there is the decentralization and decent and the decontrolling or the de-aggregation of the internet. The other thing that's really, I'm on a rant here, but the other thing that's really interesting is that we turn off the demonetization, we, we demonetize ourselves and we realize this liberates us in other ways. And the viewer may not realize this. There's this algorithm on YouTube that you're always playing homage to. You have to pray to the YouTube AI bot. And so when you create a video, this AI bot may decide whether or not your video is family friendly just by doing voice recognition of the uh, and video recognition of things in there that may or may not be naughty. So it used the, and it's because they have too much content. So you have this Skynet like bot that watches all of your content and determines whether or not you're allowed to monetize it. And then sometimes they'll flag it and say, Oh, you can't monetize it. And then you can hit a button and say, I think it's okay. Can you monetize it? And you beg and grovel at their door and eventually they monetize it or don't monetize it or worse. They monetize it. And then three months down the line, you sit in there fat and happy thinking that your video is generating ad revenue for you to make the next video. And it turns out they demonetized it and didn't tell you. The other thing that goes on is you have to be very careful about what you put in your video. So for example, um, I have a video coming out in the near future that's got a 15-second clip from the old movie Mars Attacks. That's completely fair use. We're not pirating anything. However, on YouTube, if they recognize a segment of any of the old media's content, they will demonetize you in a heartbeat. So by demonetizing ourselves and saying we will be directly viewer supported, we've also liberated ourselves from having to pray to those AI bot gods, and we're able to do content that's better and not have to worry about that garbage. Well said, and I want to thank you guys for doing that publicly. I mean, that's definitely a big step for you guys individually, but I think it's an important one for the community to see that there's major players in the game that are um, not reacting to, but are doing intentional things to to broaden the scope for not just gun-related stuff, but although gun-related stuff is super important because we get persecuted once in a while, but just for information in general, uh, having the knowledge and the ability to run your content creation, whatever it might be, even if it's just your own family and friends and you know your own stuff, uh, being able to uh, be flexible enough and knowledgeable enough to just have a couple of platforms is important because some of these don't just fail because they persecute guns or something. They just get old. They just fail because they got bad business practices. So it's just a, it's a better thing for everybody to have this democratized, uh, or not democratized, but uh, to have the our ability to, to be flexible and to learn these new uh, uh, channels or new we should we should actively struggle against the aggregation of power on the internet simply put it's like if YouTube if anything gets too big that it's the sole way to succeed on the internet we have a problem we just do and YouTube's close to that Google's close to that Facebook is close to that so if we allow those those guys to control the entire narrative and control the entire user base and control the content creators, I, we've lost. We've lost. And so the internet provides a way to get around that, and we, we should do it sooner than later. Carl, I have a question for you, and it's kind of like stepping back. I know we've been talking about very much macro things. Let's go micro just for a couple of minutes. And that's uh, what you might suggest for somebody who's, who's looking to get into content providing, uh, is certainly aware of YouTube, but has not necessarily gone down that path. Uh, what you might suggest the possible avenues they consider, and I know you listed a whole bunch of them, but there's various pros and cons to some of the ones that you mentioned. But for somebody just starting out, 
doesn't have any subs yet, but but is ready to start producing content. Where would you suggest they start and on what other avenues might they look to put their content as of today? Now here's where you're gonna laugh, YouTube. <laughs> but here's why, but let me, I'll answer that. I know that sounded sarcastic, but let me answer that in the best way I can. The reason YouTube is that beast is because it has all the eyeballs. And so by putting your content there, you have the big, and then we learned this lesson, right? We learned this when we tried to stick to only full 30. Full 30 just could not garner the, uh, the gravitas and the mass to be able to launch things in a way that we wanted it to. So I would say you, you would want to start with YouTube, but I wouldn't say you should start only with YouTube. There are other venues that we should consider, and some of them are burgeoning. Um, right now, I am, I am looking at vidme.com, although I'm having problems with them. They're not approving my verified status. Um, believe it or not, and I know that they, everyone hates them, and it's easy to hate them, and we don't know what they'll do in the future, Facebook is an excellent resource as well. Now, they've been really weird with gun content, but at the same time, they've been hot and cold, and so is YouTube. But they're also not owned by the same company. So if I were to say you were starting off right now, and you were going to be reasonably family-friendly, I'm saying I, I would think you would have a hard time if you're putting out something that was truly pornographic. Let's, let's exclude that for now. Um, you were putting out just, you know, not curse words. Yeah, yeah, fair, gun reviews. Um, I think I would start, honestly, with YouTube, and and Facebook, and then start promoting the content with Instagram, even though I find Instagram very hard to use, Twitter, and then allow that, con at those two venues and those three different, those now four different social networks, if your content's compelling, I think you'll start pulling people in, because what'll happen is, the right guy will see it, and he'll share it, and that right guy will share it, and that's the nature of the internet, and that and a good idea and good content, or even bad content, doesn't matter, popular content can go viral. And you only need a few of those to start garnering subs to any one of those channels. And so I, as much as it sounds distasteful, I would start with YouTube and Facebook and then consider others after that. But he did ask at the moment and that could change. And maybe it Yeah, that could change tomorrow. I mean, if YouTube were to explode into a shower of sparks based on this problem, then that's, then that problem has been solved, I guess. Although that would be a sad thing for the world, honestly, because YouTube is not inherently bad. They've been doing stuff, again, it's amoral. You have to treat them like what they are. They're fire. Sometimes a good servant, sometimes they burn down your house. They're doing exactly what you would expect a machine to do. And it's a you machine. Would, you do, that's exactly, exactly correct. You expect them yep. to be a human being. It's, it's just bad. We've got a couple of questions coming in. Uh, Eddie over on the Gun Channel side uh, says to ask, uh, does YouTube owe you anything in the first place? They are there as a place for you to use for free. And I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I started using YouTube because back in the old forum days when we were all in Arizona shooting, uh, somebody was asking about changing the wood on a upper uh, the AR uh, handguard and you know describing that as like holding the one metal part in your one hand and twisting the wood like you were uh, accelerating a motorcycle or something it was just easier to put up a clip and at the time a clip would have cost me money i would have had to put it on my server and cost in a charge for bandwidth it would have cost me money i could put it on youtube for free and that's how i still consider youtube as a free ad server a free video server really Oh, and I know, I know, and I would answer that no, they don't owe us anything, and they don't even know InRange anything. The reality is, they provided InRange a service. They they provided us eyeballs. They provided us promotion. They did a lot of good things for us and many other content creators. They've created an entire industry of people that are not that have that have been able to. They've actually created a new industry. Let's put it that way. So no, they don't owe us. Go ahead, sorry. Well, you mentioned on that video that I keep talking about on your main page of the your YouTube channel that um. Uh, even if you, this experiment is to fail, which it doesn't look like it's going to, and we sure hope it doesn't, if you, uh, you're, you're leave, if, in other words, if the, you said mentioned if, if YouTube continues to run ads on your video, who cares? Because they are providing a service, so 
yeah, let them make some money. We, we're, we are capitalists, right? It's up to us to figure out how to make our ends meet. So uh, I don't put that on YouTube as they really took something away from us. They offered us something for a long time, and it's different now. But uh, no, that's not on them. This, this is where I think the democratization – I keep using that word. But this is where I think direct, direct viewer support is so relevant. And this is why I, I think Patreon and, and others like it um, are the, are, should be. Um, in my opinion, the new future of this. So it's way better. So when you're dealing with a virtual commodity, we're not dealing with gold or food or ammunition or metal things that you can actually physically hold in the real world. We're dealing with bits and bits inherently are worth nothing, right? What's valuable is the content in the bits, the ideas, the concepts, the entertainment, whatever that may be, a video game, doesn't matter. The bits themselves are of zero value, zero. So if someone wants to host a bunch of zero value worthless garbage on their network they can it doesn't it's it's of no value to anyone the value comes in the content itself and so youtube provides a value in that they allow a whole world of people quite honestly to put their ideas via video into an environment that they then host and allow the world to watch and that's a very powerful good thing i don't want to see youtube get destroyed i'm not saying that at all but by but by by being a content creator and then using their monetization money and allowing them and their algorithms to dictate what my message is, it's a little bit of an insidious relationship in that um, I'm kind of making a deal with the corporation to do what to, to, to toe their line. Well, when and, you only have one stream of income, you become very vulnerable to that stream, the source I, of the stream. Of course, of course, that's true, absolutely. So when you, if you are a content creator, and this is where I said a lot of us have been lazy, we go to YouTube, we put our stuff up there, they are the sole source of income for our content creation, whether it's a full-time job or a part-time job or a hobby, this stuff is not free to do, and some people think this stuff should be entirely free and we should make it and just do it on our part-time. The reality is we can't, If even in-range, if you don't think in-range is quality enough for you, that's fine, but even the quality of in-range is, I'm telling you, a lot of work. So that kind of stuff generally isn't free. It just, it isn't. And so for us to have some form of monetization methodology around it, be it advertising revenue or something else, is what makes it worth our time and as well as our effort, as well as the ammunition to do it. So um, we were relying on that very simple, very easy um, architecture of just let YouTube handle it. And this is where I think things have gone awry in that if we had instead, if we understand that the value of those bits isn't the bits, but the value is the content, and then we go to the people watching it and say, hey, if you like this content, put a dollar in the, in the hat or whatever you feel is appropriate for you. Um, and then a subset, I realize it'll be a percentage of a percentage that does that. But even if a percentage of the percentage does that, that can liberate the content creator. It allows them to not be holding to any of those advertising conglomerates. And it allows us to have a direct relationship with the people that are actually garnering, garnering a value from what we're doing. Our work now has value in a different way. It's not valuable to YouTube to let them put an ad on it. It's valuable to the viewer, and some of them are willing to put money in there because they want us to continue making what they get something out of. It's value for value, and that's the that's where I would like to see the relationship change, and that's why we've put ourselves entirely in the hands of the viewers via Patreon. If they want to support us, they can. If they don't want to, they don't have to. If they want to watch it on YouTube with an ad blocker, go for it. If you want to watch it on YouTube without an ad blocker, go for it. All we're saying is if you like what we're doing, if you like what any content creator is doing, I think we're better off and 
decentralizing the distribution to more than just YouTube. And I think we're better off being accountable to the viewer than we are to YouTube. That's my argument. I want to take uh, the role of host here since we're running low on time we've got with Carl here. I'm going to ask one more question about YouTube coming in from the YouTube side from our friend HVS out in Hawaii. He asked, is YouTube too big to fail? And then I'd like to get into the that war on new media and ask Carl his, opinion, his ideas on, we've talked about a little bit, but as viewers, what we can do. But do you think YouTube is too big to fail? No, I don't. I think I think I think any of these things can fail. I think even something as big as Google could fail. YouTube has been mostly bolstered up and held up with shoestrings and nails and wood by Google. As I understand it, Google is never a YouTube has never been a very profitable, if at all, profitable endeavor. And that they may be in, in this in, in this instance, they may very well be keeping YouTube up as their weird, strange form of altruism, um, to be honest. So could it fail? Yeah, I think if it continues to have the adpocalypse going on as it is, and it starts hitting the bottom line of Google to a point where they look at it and go, wow, this just isn't worth worth the effort. Yeah, I think I think YouTube could fail. However, if YouTube were to fail, I think we would see another person step up in its place real quick. I think what would happen is actually, I think you'd see Facebook become the standardized video distribution network real quick. But I think yeah. it could fail, yes. I know we had limited time. I said that was going to be our last question on YouTube, but just since you brought that up, my major frustration with Facebook is that it doesn't archive well. It's not good for searching and creating, uh, you know. No, uh, I agree. That kind of yeah. thing. So they'd probably up their game, though. Well, none of these, none of these, none of these are perfect. Honestly, you kind of have to, the you have to kind of make do with all of them. Like Vimeo's got its quirks. Vidme definitely has some quirks. Mines has its quirks. Full Thirty has its quirks. Facebook has its quirks. YouTube has its quirks, and that's that's the painful part where it's real easy to be, to be, it's real easy to be lazy as a creator and just go, oh, I'll just put it on YouTube. At least I know there are quirks. So well, if we go ahead, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. So when you start doing what we're doing, which is all right. Our fate's in the hands of the viewer, and we're going to give it to you any way we can give it to you the way you want it. Uh, it becomes the Burger King distribution method of video. Guess what? It's actually a lot harder. I've got to now deal with Facebook. I've got to deal with YouTube. I've got to deal with Minds.com. I've got to deal with Full30, and I've got to deal with the quirks of all those now. So it's it actually increases, and I'm not saying this to say, I hope this doesn't come across as, oh, poor us. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying is it is no longer the lazy method. It's actually quite a bit of work. Well, I mean, everybody's got to remember, we're capitalists, you get what you pay for. So if you expect people to do this on their off time, you're going to get what people can do in their off time. Because most of us are going to continue to do what we're doing, as, as it's just what we're able to do. So when you talked about Flow 30 a couple of times, I don't want us to give an impression that we have any problems with Flow 30. Um, there are basically a, an awesome presence on the internet. Uh, Tim and the rest uh, created a place that hosts videos. So they're literally going head to head with Google on this. And it's been a I mean, can you imagine such a monumental task to give themselves? But they did it. And it, it might have its issues, whatever those issues you have with it might be. But it's all about scale, right? So uh, we'll see some people move over now. Uh, and as audience, I think the easiest thing you can do or to, to encourage face, uh, Full30 to do their thing is just be a viewer. There's no cost to be on Full30, right? You just have to sit no, there. No, you know, actually, yeah. the, I, since I have I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, those are ads from, from gun-related stuff, which YouTube did not allow. You couldn't get uh, Rock Island uh, auctions to, to – they wouldn't allow them to advertise on on YouTube. Uh, some of the other advertisers over there that are gun-related didn't have the opportunity to be on YouTube. So if you want to see an, alter, an alternate platform succeed, go use it. So let me let me. This is me an opportunity to briefly air some things that I've heard about Full Thirty, which are actually incorrect. So not from you, but just the general 
zeitgeist. Um, Full 30, again, is a couple years old now. And the reason they're able to exist is because they fill the void of, just like you said, they take advertising from advertisers that weren't allowed to advertise with Google. So, And they have predominantly gun-related content. So if you want to advertise a Henry rifle or you advertise Rock Island auctions or whatever, you can do that at Full 30 when you just can't do that on Google. And so therefore, they've been able to stay alive as a result. One of the things that has prevented Full 30 from being able to expand further, well, there's a couple of them. First of all, they don't have the global distribution network that, that Google does. My God, if you want to talk about a network, Google has a network. So they have to rely on whatever infrastructure they can purchase at the money they have at the time. And so one of the things that I've seen people really... Well, there's two things. One, it's just technologically not as good as YouTube, and it just isn't because it's a startup effort. The other part that's 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 been caused grief for people is why do they not just open it up and let anyone put stuff on there? Well, the idea in the zeitgeist is that for some reason they're being jerks and not letting the average gun guy put up gun content, and that's actually not the real reason. The real reason is they can't scale. They, add, they are inv inviting specific channels when they can to join the Full30 network when they look at their current cost for bandwidth and storage space and all the stuff going on, and they're inviting them intermittently when they can because they can't scale. If they open the door to that, like YouTube opens the door to anyone who wants to create a channel, they would be out of business probably in a month. That would destroy them. It would, it would be a self-destructive endeavor. I bet you if they, could, if they could, they would open it up to everybody that they could. That's at least for my conversations I've had with them. The reality is they can't. And so that's a technological barrier that they have that Google doesn't. And a lot of people out there don't understand that. So I just wanted to air that because I've heard that a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it because you've got firsthand knowledge on it, not just somebody speculating. So to wrap it up then, uh, again, this war on new media is something that, I mean, you coined it. It's awesome. Um, what, is, what as viewers can we do? I know we've addressed a couple of these things, but. Okay, well, as viewers, there's a couple of things that I think that you can do. I think that you should go to any content creator that you like. And I'm. Believe me, this is not a self-promotional thing, but people like us, there are others doing it now that have created Patreon accounts or alternatives to Patreon. If you like them and you legitimately enjoy their content and you get value out of what they're doing, if you get value out of the entertainment, the, edu the edu education, whatever it is that you're watching, be it gun-related or not, go see if they have it. And if you're willing and can, throw a dollar into that hat. And it doesn't have to be in range. Anybody, the, any creator of any content you like. And I think the more creators that see, hopefully, this is a hopeful. There's some faith here to be had. The more creators that see that the community is willing to do that, the more creators might do what we did, which is just cut the tie between you and the advertising dollars to liberate your content. So I think that's step one. If you really believe this idea and you want to support the people that are giving you value that you think is there, consider supporting them directly. Um, consider uh, watching through other venues than just YouTube. If a content creator is on some other venue, be it VidMe or someone else that you don't that you currently maybe isn't even as technologically as savvy as YouTube. Full 30 is a good example, but there are others. Be willing to give it a try and, and, and maybe even sometimes a little bit of discomfort because it's not as good as what the other thing is. Um, and on top of that, just promote the idea. Realize that this is that, that YouTube's a middleman between you and the old media and realize that the consumer, uh, that their customer is the old media, not you. And in that regard, uh, treat it as such. They're not your friend. They're not your enemy. And none of these things are. And so I think the best thing the viewer or the consumer base can do is promote and directly support the creators. The best thing the creators can do is break that bond. I think, in my opinion, start a chain reaction of going to direct viewer support. And when willing and capable and brave enough, I guess would be the word, um, consider cutting those monetization ties from the old media. 
pretty much show them who actually does have that power. And then also as a result, um, uh, free the chains to your content. I think that that's important. I think, that, does that make sense? Definitely. I'm going to add in there to uh, you can in a non monetized way, you can support the content that you that you appreciate by interacting with their social media platforms. Uh, think about how those platforms work. Like we know that they're all run by robots that Skynet's doing this whole thing. So like share, subscribe, do all those interactions with the platform, which the platform uses to determine what to recommend, what to promote. And uh, that alone, if everyone put that kind of effort into the, their favorite gun related stuff, or whatever, First First Amendment stuff, whatever it happens to be, you're going to be encouraging them. Well, you're going to be helping them on the platform, but you're encouraging the individual who's sitting there deciding, should I make a video today? Well, I know there's people out there who appreciate it. I'll do it. I'm glad you said that. Um, and let me let me let me let me go ahead and reinforce that comment because it's actually a very valuable one. I'm so stuck on the idea of just trying to get these content creators sustaining themselves without the, the ad revenue. But that's a very good point. Doing what we did or doing what anyone might do, if you demonetize yourself, there's a very good chance that the algorithms at YouTube are not gonna promote your content the way it used to. And so the ability, if you can't support or want to support financially, that's one thing, but the thing you can do, and you just said it great, you can fix that problem by sharing the content. So if you go to a, your creator, your favorite creator, B, I don't know who that is, if you look at a video you like, share the hell out of that thing. Share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, and then your friends promote them sharing it. And what that does is that actually breaks YouTube's algorithm control over the content creator. Because if the creator, if the viewer base actually does that promotion of the content for the creator, then we don't have to rely on YouTube's algorithm anymore. And that's extremely powerful, and that costs no money. Just some effort, and that's effort towards empowering yourself as part of this new media is to interact, right? And, and knowledge about how to appreciate the content is is your ammunition. No, that's exactly right. So the the, 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 war, the the war, for lack of a better term, I don't know if I'd call it a war, but the war that's going on, you can fight with money and you can fight with just your voice. And your voice can be as sim really can be as simple as sharing content from creators you like and saying, hey guys, check this out. And, and promote that they do the same thing. That right there breaks a lot of the control mechanisms that are going on with our content right now. And that also breaks the algorithm problem with YouTube, where if we put something up that has a little snippet of 30 seconds from a movie, we get demonetized or don't get promoted. By promoting that video outside of YouTube's algorithms or outside of Facebook's algorithms, you're doing that content creator a huge favor. And you're helping bolster their numbers. And maybe you can't put a dollar into their support hat, but maybe one of the 30 people you share the video to does. So you're really helping them in more than one way. And maybe five of them do. You know, maybe you send it to 500 people and five of them do. You've just given them five bucks that they would not have been able to reach. And that's five bucks that you didn't have to pay. That yeah. help, hopefully means that you get to enjoy that content creator's future productions because you like what they do. So uh, I know you have another uh, interview going and I wanted you to promote the whatever channel you're going on to here next. And, oh, yeah, uh, I've, I've been invited to a number of things over this. I, it, it, it's, it's interesting that the stuff that I got promoted to talk about isn't actually our gun content. It's actually this, but I think that that makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad to hear that because this is a valuable message, in my opinion. I'm going to be on Modern Rifleman Radio. It's a podcast. Um, it, I don't know what day it's going to be issued, but if you check out Modern my Rifleman Radio, you will find me on that um, in the near future. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, I will be on primary and secondary coming up in a couple days. And there's probably more coming, but the one I'm jumping to right now is Modern Rifleman Radio. Well, awesome, man. We appreciate your time. Hopefully, we'll have you back on again. I'm glad that you are dealing with the Hangouts. Hopefully, you use this on your own channel. I, I think you'll find that people really appreciate being able to talk to you guys live like this. 
But yeah, I'll, I think we need to do more live engagement. I think it's a valuable tool, and we haven't done anything like that, and we probably should. I agree with you. Awesome. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Z has jumped in from Maui. I don't know if you may throw in the discussion for Charles. No, I'm all good. Uh, just listening. Right on. Well, Carl, thanks again. Uh, I've known each other for a long time. It's the first time we had a chance to get together on the internet. So hopefully it's not our last time. No, I agree. Thank you for having me on. I hope you found this to be a valuable conversation. I'm, I hope my rant wasn't too long-winded that you got bored with it. And I do appreciate everyone listening to it and at least considering the ideas because I think we really are at a point right now where it's up to us, creators, viewers, to really do something to make sure that we control the future of the internet. I really believe that. It's an opportunity, man. We've never had this. I mean, it takes a disruption in the norm to evolve and to innovate. And this is an opportunity for all of us as creators and as viewers. To, to just change the whole fucking paradigm. Agreed, hundred percent. Right, man. I just want to say thanks for thanks uh, for coming on the show and you've made some really good points and thanks for uh, doing uh, some of the legwork for us and uh, telling us what we need. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you honestly, the support's been incredible. So, um, it, at this moment, at least less than one week into this endeavor. I would say that we're right <laughs> because people have come to us from across not just the u.s literally from around the planet we are getting support from people in different countries people in the u.s this is not a this is not an american thing this is an internet thing and that's global and i think at least right now people are on board and it's incredible and awesome and humbling to see it well, i love it and the fact that it's international is awesome so i think us as gun creators everybody everybody who puts close a picture of them shooting with their grandkids in the backyard or something up to uh Hickok, or even what's his face with the uh, uh video game stuff uh, russian guy you know everybody in that whole spectrum is an ambassador for the second amendment which is an ambassador for individual rights and that's an ambassador for freedom so thanks for leading the way on this man it's, it's all ultimately a culture war isn't it all right. Well, good saying thanks and uh, let you get on to the next podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We'll talk again. And we'll keep going with the show and we've got our schedule here, so we'll go back into the schedule. Thanks, everybody, for being patient with us to talk about that. If it was something you're not interested in, sorry about that. Uh, again, one of the reasons we do this show on daily is to inspire and encourage people to do their own kind of things. All right. So, you know, is probably heading out to go make some money. So why don't we talk about windbreakers for a minute if he's ready? Uh, caught me off guard, I'd say, every time. Well, you're supposed to catch us off guard with the whole deal. I know, I know. And the volume's too low. There we go. Hey, Rachel, let's go to Axe next month. Let's all go to Axe next month. Bet you thought it would never happen. I bet you thought it was canceled for today, but it's not. Ah! So there. The tactical pop quiz lives. So uh, today, uh, uh, Z, are you able to uh, give me a hand in the uh, officiating? Yeah. Okay, cool. Can you hear me? Yep. Sound good. Um, have you seen the question? And more importantly, have you seen the answer? I have. All right. I will read the question twice. So those of you on YouTube, those of you on gut channels, get your fingers ready. Put your cursor down in the box. And here it goes. The question was sent in by Angry American. So thank you, Angry. The Six Sour Academy sits on approximately how many acres? The Six Sour Academy sits on approximately how many acres?
It's in Connecticut or someplace, right? I would hope so. I Ooh. got uh, 140 and I got 150. Now, technically. Uh, I, 140. 140 well, is well, it says over 140 is the answer. Right. <laughs> okay. so, so we're getting it to Pondry? I yeah. guess so. All right. So Sean wins, wins that one again. And... So congratulations, uh, Mr. Pondry. You are today's tactical pop quiz winner. You know, but for those of you that don't, head over to dailygunshow.com slash pop quiz. Fill out the form. And those of you looking for the muzzle and light patch, also on over on dailygunshow.com is a place where you can simply pick up a patch for yourself and your friends. So head on over and do that. And also, those of you listening to us on YouTube, please take a moment and subscribe to our channel. It would help us greatly. All right, Bonnery, congratulations. Way to get your best self back into the winner's circle. Uh, that makes you the tactical pop quiz. Hot shot! For today so good job brother so we do a tactical pop quiz like that every day we do a tactical quiz on wednesday and every day we send the winner over to our, our website dailygunshow.com and we've got a picture here of a patch panel it's got a bunch of patches that we either make here in tucson ourselves or that we've had made for us on our designs some of them are donated to us uh, from friends of the channels and uh the winner can pick whatever patch they want off the panel down below here there's a little form you can fill out to tell us where to send it and it's our way of saying thanks to the people that are watching us live every day. Appreciate it. All right, so I don't know how long Dano's got with us. Do we want to dig right into gun stuff? This top, the top what? Ten, it's 10 types of gun owners is our uh, uh, topic for the first segment of the show, which is just starting now. So we've got this article from the feed ramp. Is that a blog, I guess? Throw the link in here. I'm sure people have seen these kind of things before where they sort of sort out the gun owners into the types. I haven't actually looked at this yet, but it looks like we've got the competitor, the tactician, the Instagram model, the SIG snob. You don't see that one very often. The trainer, the bullseye, the accessorizer, the nothing but a Glock, the because the Navy steals, and the YouTuber. Well, we got a bunch of them. The Eastern Block, the I'm only doing this for my husband, and the 1911 as it was intended. So <laughs> wow. You know, I think we have a host that falls into one of those. No, I suggest Glocks when it's appropriate, but you don't ever see me talk oh, about Oh, hold on there, man. Maybe he meant you're the Eastern Block, too. Well, but actually, anyway. I was, I, was, I was not referring to you at all. Oh, who are you talking about? Bob? Bob. The the seat, except it would be the, the... John Moses Browning. Yeah. As it was intended, guy. I'm in. But yeah. I think they're missing one in here. I think they're a big one they're missing is the collector. Where's the damn collector in here? I think I get rid of this. Could, could you go through them one more time? Just yeah, rattle them off. We got them on the screen here. We got the competitor, the tactician, which, I mean, that's the same, really. But anyway, the Instagram model, Gun Bunny, is the SIG snob, I imagine fill in the blank with whatever think about it. that used to be a thing though like think about, about like within the past five years maybe even oh, yeah. maybe even 10 like dude that was, that's totally a thing oh no there was definitely people that would only buy SIGs for sure then you got the trainer and I don't know how they 
the, the tactician, they say, is the four courses a month and has James Yeager on speed dial, refuses to compete because training scars, lives life's in condition red, and then you got the trainer. I guess they're trained the train the the tactician is the is the student and the trainer, I guess, is they're saying uh person is always there to give you advice or whatever. Anyway, then they got the bullseye, the accessorizer, the nothing but a Glock, the because the Navy SEALs. Uh, the YouTuber, the, the Eastern Bloc, the I'm only doing this for my husband, uh, and the 1911 as it was intended. I don't know about this. I'm only doing it for my husband. Is that a type of shooter? I guess you're always dragged around. Yeah. Well, think about it, you know, because as cool as it may seem, it might not be as cool to them. You, you know what I mean? I mean, so I'm like, going gonna, gonna to say that there, I'm going to say that there are some that are doing it because they enjoy it and it's their thing, right? But I'm going to say that there's probably is a portion there has to be a, a portion of them that are literally just doing it so they can still spend more time or or time in general with their significant other because what if it was the other way what if the wife was the one that was the shooter and then it was the husband that, that was the one that got on um, to the uh yeah. well to the like, like, like we've never seen women with their husbands going shopping and the husband's got that look on his face like he'd rather be any place other than, than where he's at Yes, for sure. Uh, on the YouTube side, Arts and Tony's saying the guy who never shoots his guns—that's definitely one. I'm in that category category right now. Um, you got the trigger happy FUD from HBS. Now wait a minute. Um, what is that? What is the trigger yeah. happy FUD? I'm not sure. Maybe you can explain that further, HBS. And then he's uh, we got uh, from Clay the operator. I don't know. I think one of these is probably this. Probably this Man, this uh, tactician guy is maybe the operator guy. Is it, or was the because the Navy SEALs are they well, the because the Navy SEALs one was that just the gear that they use or what did they say for the definition? Uh, they're saying unable to think for him or herself sees what the Navy SEALs are using and must use it too. Has zero actual knowledge of spec ops. But I would say the okay. operator might be more like the cop or the military guy who learned it, you know, whatever decade, and that's everybody else is foolish. I've seen a lot of these on Instagram lately where, like, oh, this is, you know, they're just mocking everything that's been done on the Internet because it's just for show and that, you know, the, the old tried and true is the way to do it. Um, that's definitely, an, a, I mean, at least working in a gun shop, that's a big portion of the people that come in are the, the guys that either wear a gun every day for their job uh, have had some sort of, you know, training mandatory for their job or maybe even up-trained, you know, because they're in that kind of a line of work. But uh, you can't tell them nothing. They they know it all. And not that they're wrong necessarily. It's just that, and they're not bullheaded. It's just that they feel that they're at a level that is uh, different than everybody else. Uh, Killing Time did say the noob. I would definitely agree with that. But on the That's same... Yeah, but on the same level, any one of not maybe not any one of these, but like the YouTuber, the Instagram model, and I think there was another one that I was thinking of, like literally could be also a noob, so to speak. I guess at the start of any one of these could be a noob, actually. Well, no, but that is almost a separate thing, and everybody, and this might be the kind of thing you transition out of. I mean, everybody starts with someplace. Though. Yeah, you could be you could be more than one thing. Oh, I agree with that. That's true too. Let's see. The collector is the man who buys guns just to sell them later. Well, I don't know. I buy guns to appreciate them and to accumulate uh, interesting representation or a, a representation of an interesting 
line of you know the, the whatever branch of the tree. Um, so I don't buy them to sell them, especially my Saturday specials and stuff. Well, I kind of liked. He also made a comment before that where he said the. <laughs> Uh, they forget the collector, the person who has 200 guns, but only fires. I don't know if that's necessarily the collector, but that could be, I guess. Simulator, maybe the, the, simulator. the safe queen guy. Anything, and then just keeps adding new ones. Well, we know we have one of those people. We know. What was it? I'm sorry. Yankee. I'm called the accumulator. Somebody that just buys the new thing all the time and never really sells them unless necessary, but just you know keeps adding more to the pile. Yep. Uh, let's see, Moon Food Sand, the Night Striker. I guess that's a type of firearms owner, I guess. We were messing with Night Strike all or, earlier today on the uh, on, uh, Sean's show, so I don't know if he's in here listening or not. But Oh, uh, okay. We found a movie on the internet. I was poking around on the internet, and I found a movie. I forgot what it's called. Oh, Neil Striker. That's the name of the movie, Neil Striker, and it's yeah. spelled with a Y. Striker with an I, not a Y. No, but it was a Y, not an I. So, anyway, uh, the Mall Ninja, I guess that would be the accessorizer. I think you're right. I would definitely agree with that. Obviously, buys gear thinking will help them win the fight in the food court, refuses to practice, carries enough flashlights to eliminate the NFL game. Yeah, I don't believe that because can't have too many lights. Uh, I don't know about the <laughs> Sister Block one. Uses only weapons that former Soviet Union used, believes the air platform is unproven and unreliable. Also, the source for steel. 9 by 18 cases that are the bane of reloaders. Number one, if, if a steel case thing is the bane of you, then you don't know magnetism. So I don't have any sympathy for you yeah, at all. For cleanup time, I'm going to kind of agree with you on that for sure. So what are they talking? They're basically talking Tokarevs, Makarovs, and AKs for the most part is what they're pretty yeah. much saying. Yeah, and I don't know if there's that many. I mean, I've known plenty of people that appreciate Soviet crap, but it's usually because it's easy to accumulate and there's so much variety of it and it's interesting. But I don't know if really too many people that are going to suggest that their AK and their Makarov is better than an AR and a Glock when it comes down to actually going out and needing it. But um, I don't know. I'd, I'd say I definitely feel like I know a few people uh, that, that the AK is the pinnacle of... Uh, well... Uh, design and function. When I see this, though, when I think Eastern Bloc and I see it described as only weapons that the former Soviet Union used, I'm not talking your tactical AK, where it's made in the USA, or at least big portions of it are, and it's got rails and all kinds of ergonomic crap. You're basically turning it into a new platform at that point. I guess I read this as like, you know, a true AK. Oh, you're talking wooden steel is in yeah. my mind, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I don't, just don't see that many people anymore. For a little while, there was that, but I think that was more of a blip well, and what about like the hipster? Uh, the reason it makes me think about that is I think Artisan Tony and both Sean both said the Mosin guy, and I remember that Mosins used to be super cheap. As I understand, they are not super cheap anymore. And at some point within the past, I want to say five years or whatever, like the Mosin was like, dare I say, it was the it was the gun of the hipster almost because he was cool before it was cool. But he didn't know that it was already cool before he thought it was cool. If, and I know I just walked in a big circle, so I apologize. I'm going to say our friend from Romania is in there, Jay Blow. I didn't want to, I didn't ask him the 3D printing question because I'm hoping that Carl will be on again. And I'm sure he has something to say about that. So I'm sorry I didn't say it today. I just wanted to keep it on subject today. So I just noticed he was in there chatting. I wanted to kind of narrow cast to him. The Mill Serp guy? Now I would change this Eastern Block to the mill serp guy and put your Mosin guy in there and then whatever they're calling yep. the, like these. I'd, I'd say that. 
Because you get so your then soup. because then you get also if you do the mill syrup guy, I mean that's also going to be the garand, the carbine uh, action guns that um, the, the Enfield. Yep. What is it? The um, just the NRC. Nineteen eleven. Yeah, Otias. I have ACP nineteen eleven, right? That old school stuff. Yeah, and then this nineteen eleven is is what intended. I'd just call that a fud, right? Oh, well, what did they get for the definition? I actually, I should have just... That's how, John that's how John Moses Browning designed it. That's why. Okay, so that's why it doesn't have a, didn't have a light rail. Um, the external safety thing on the slide. I'm trying no to think plastic. what else. No plastic. We'll yeah, no plastic. Together. Didn't need a light in the old days because people used to eat carrots and consume dark. I think Bob said in those days people ate carrots so they could see in the dark. I I think that's what he said. I couldn't tell if he was saying it or yelling it though. I, I oh, okay, they're saying the bullseye shooter shoots at tiny targets at painfully slow pace. Thinks the IDPA is dangerously fast paced. Again, I <laughs> definitely agree that that's a thing, but I mean that's a very small. And maybe it's the same number of people, but it's becoming dwarfed by the number of other new shooters that are out there that have no interest in bullseye or marksmanship type of shooting. Well, I will agree with you somewhat on that, and that because the the first one was the competitor or whatever, right? So the the bullseye shooter is a competitor. He just competes at a different speed, right? Yeah, the speed of smell. I mean, talk about slow. <laughs> The sweetest smell. Um, Sean is saying the rich guy who rubs it in your face. I think there's definitely oh. something out there. That's a that's a thing actually. Now when I, I saw also, the trainer, I, that really reminded me more of the know-it-all, like at the right, store. I think that's what they meant by trainer. Really, they say the most power, most helpful, annoying person you'll ever meet at the range typically can't hit a damn thing, but is full of advice on how you can get better. Stage five clinger of the gun world. I don't know what that means. Well, well, and Pottery just put out there the the purest, the purest. What's that? The 1911 guy? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, uh, this should be like this, and this should be like that, and like all AKs should have wood. Well, maybe. Well, I mean, some of the categories or, all just have a correct way to beat, though. That's not necessarily a type of shooter. I mean, like the 1911 category has that aspect to it. The the Sig category does. The Glock category does. As far as being a purist. Oh, and then Jay Blow saying the they forgot about the tactical shovel. The men who live in Europe and don't have any guns except the shovel. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hopefully, yeah, things will change. That's the thing. Well, I think we had a little fun with this one, but just for the sake of moving things along, uh, if you have something you wanted to throw out at this one, you can write us an email, dailygunshow at gmail.com. Uh, we can probably hit this one again or maybe come up with our own top 10 list. If you'd like to throw your own version of a top 10 list at us, we might address this one in the future. It was kind of interesting. I don't know if this Absolutely. one came from an email or, or if we came up with this one. I don't remember. That's the problem with scheduling the shows out a month ahead of time is I don't remember where half these things come from. I'm going to bow out, yeah. so... We'll catch you guys right. later. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate you sticking around. Yep. Yeah, because I don't even know. That might have been something I might have found on Facebook and just put it in there. I don't know. Right on. Um, let's see. So but I don't want to take credit if I didn't do it. <laughs> well, we'll give Daniel the credit then. So uh, we're going to head into our second topic of the day, even though it's kind of weird on the time frame. Hopefully everybody's 
got some time to listen to the show, can, you know, still. But um, before we break into the second segment, we do like to take a pause between the first and second segment of the show each day and feature one of the members over at Gun Channels. Uh, Gun Channels is a place we built a while back. It's a community. It's focused on firearms. We built it, so there's no issues with uh, any of that kind of weird stuff. It's uh, for shooters, by shooters. And to uh, appreciate some of the people that are over there and to let people be aware of the place, uh, we feature a member each day. And today I'm going I'm to feature Dano since uh, we haven't featured ourselves in a while. Uh, Dano's a hell of a guy. He's been doing uh, gun channels, I think, since almost the beginning, or he's been hanging out since the beginning, being a participant in the live stuff and in the text chat, and literally helps build the place. A couple of things, like our new 24-hour uh, gun show, uh, he's literally helped, he put in uncountable hours. I don't even want to ask him how many hours he put into figuring out all the, or filling in all the, the categories and stuff, so really been instrumental to the gun channels and when we built the place wanted to build it for people who are out there creating content or thinking about creating content people who appreciate you know grassroots real content and I think Dano is a prime example of that and unfortunately he's not here to hear us talk about it but he'd probably just say oh shucks or something so it's good that we're doing it he's not here yeah Dano's good people I'm glad he has a sense of humor uh, it's definitely good to have him around Glad he can take a joke. Yeah, we all get on the show. He really does have a good sense of humor. And, you know, he's it's pretty good he can put up with me and Z. Yeah, um, and, all right, so that's enough about that. Check out Gun Challenge if you haven't, and give Dano a pat on the back sometime. Say thanks to him. And I will dig into the next segment of the show, which is training. And do you even cardio, bro? So this is a good one. It's a tough one because I don't do this at all. I guess, do you count walking as cardio? That's about the closest thing I get to it. Depends on how fast or how long you walk. Is that a video underneath? Or is that for something else? Um, oh, I posted because I opened the show real early today so that Carl could get in. I think this was his first time using Hangouts. And uh, I just wanted to have some extra time. So I opened it up at like an hour early. And then... Okay. Put this in here for anybody that showed up early. That's the video I kept referring to off of their main channel page over at InRange TV. And it's a video of Ian and Carl in about 15 minutes explaining their um, their their challenge and their concept and basically what he talked about earlier, but you know more concisely. So anyway, nice. I put that up there so that the guys that might like Bob and Dano might have jumped. I didn't know that Smeggy wasn't going to be here. Uh, so just they could have a little prep. I also put it in the show notes, so what we're talking about is a link in our show notes, but it's been out in the chat. I'll throw it out here again in case you haven't seen it. You can just head over to their channel, though, on YouTube and see the video I'm talking about, but it is a pretty concise way of explaining their um, their reaction and their strategy for you know this issue that's going on right now with uh, YouTube and in the bigger picture, uh, the development of the Internet. Excellent. Thank you for posting that. Uh, back to the training thing, though. Uh, cardio. Do you even cardio, bro? It's just important for everyday health in general. Whether, you know, yep. whether we're talking actual calisthenics or, you know, jumping jacks, burpees, uh, jogging, running, hiking sometimes can even be cardio, depending on how fast you're going. I let my back drag me around morally opposed to running i think it's dangerous to your knees and if you fall down or something why why go out and flaunt danger in the face like that where walking is way safer and you can get just much accomplished it takes a little longer but uh 
Well, depending if you, you know, how you walk and at what pace you walk, you can actually get a decent cardio out of that as well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But I think it is important. I know as a, whatever I'm called, like a novice slash intermittent, you know, occasional shooter, um, that, you know, being in shape is definitely better. But if you're doing even the least amount of exertion, any kind of a competition or something, or even just shooting for your own sake and seeing if you're better than you were, uh, you're shooting and you go have to get something out of the vehicle or whatever and come back over to the bench. You know, if you're that out of shape, you're going to be breathing heavy for a little while and that's going to affect your shooting if you try to shoot right away. And if you're at a public range where you don't get the option of shooting when you feel like it, you know, you get back and there's only five minutes left before the end of the you know, session before you're changing targets or something. You're kind of forced to put a couple of rounds out there. You might be wasting your own time if you're, uh, you know, not on your game as far as that kind of stuff. But like you said, in general, it's just better to be healthy. I mean, we can't be gun advocates if we're dead or if we're sitting in a hospital bed. So just to keep ourselves in the game, uh, I'm sure cardio is a big portion of that. I guess another portion of it is the more you walk around and do stuff, the more you can eat. So if you like eating, just go out and walk around a little bit, and that'll help you. Or, you know, like you're saying, all those other things, jumping jacks and stuff. You don't have to go anywhere for that. Well, um, even uh, one of the guys out there uh, said stairs. I mean, no kidding. Like oh, yeah. that is, I like. Let's never forget about stairs. Well, here's my problem. I mean, I, I, I agree, but where I live, I don't even know where I'd find stairs. I mean, unless you're talking like two or three stairs, there just ain't buildings with stairs in them around here. So I'd have to go all the way downtown to find stairs. But, I mean, you got to go to like a ball field and walk up the stands or something like that, or you got to go to yeah. a, a city, state, or county building or something like that, and all that can get. Well, no, now that you say that, even the local, like, soccer fields and baseball fields and stuff will have those little bleachers for the parents or whatever. And, yeah, uh -huh. I didn't think about that, but I could just be walking up and down those. I might actually alter my path one day and go walk up and down those a few times. Uh, preferably make sure that there's nobody sitting in that, though. That's probably a good idea. I'll yes. just bring the dog, then they'll all run. They'll all scatter. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> Uh, Colt is saying you have to get your heart rate up to another to a certain number. And that's a good point. I was out. Me and Bob were out eating with uh, Thumbs and his kids. Both his little kids, twelve and eleven, they both have the little Skynet bracelet things on that are recording everything they do, and uh, they use them to record their steps. And I imagine you can record your or monitor your heartbeat or something like that. So that's getting easier and easier. In other words, I mean, I remember back in the day when I was trying to get in shape back a long time ago. And those kind of things existed, but they weren't reachable for a regular person. That was like, super expensive. If you were rich and you were having heart problems or something, you, had, you might be able to afford some electronic device to monitor your heart, like on your person. Yeah. Now it's just, yep. uh, your phone can probably do it. I know I can stick my finger on my uh, camera on my phone and it can give me my heartbeat. So I don't need a special device or anything. Well, and here's the deal with some of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's only going to give you a certain level of accuracy, and there's going to be, let's just say, the more reasonably priced some of that technology is, the the larger the scale of uh, plus or minus is going to be, so to speak. Tony's saying that Skynet alone makes his heart race without cardio. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it, Tony. It keeps me thinking all the time. I'll be saying do 85% for at least 30 minutes twice a week. Yeah, I think there's – and then one of the things I like about Instagram is uh, I got the food thing over there on the Instagram, and I follow a bunch of diet and food people and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, there's quite a few of these – I don't know if you call them memes or whatever, but just informational like Instagram posts, right, people do. Sometimes it's quotes, and sometimes it's uh, 
where they like little exercises, I guess, where it'll say like, this is the so-and-so exercise and it's do three of these, five of these, three of these, repeat it three times. And, you know, back in the day, again, when I was younger trying to do exercises, maybe you watch a VHS tape or something, or maybe you go to a gym and somebody tells you something, but you're only going to have so many like routines or so many things that you can um, kind of come up with or whatever, or at least, you know, you had to come up with your own. But like I say, now with the internet and so many people interested in keeping themselves healthy, uh, it's kind of neat. You can you could probably just watch a couple Instagram accounts and get a brand new interesting uh, workout or exercise uh, thing to do almost every single day. So you don't even have to be bored by it. You could almost look I'm forward to I'm pretty sure it. whether we're talking uh, like blogs, vlogs, Instagram, Facebook, I think even YouTube, there are, are some combinations of all of those that will do almost like a, a post a new routine every day uh, and or uh, perhaps a menu as well, which is not cardio, but it's also along with the the healthy aspects. I've definitely, I can't remember any of the names of them right now, but uh, I've definitely run into a couple, couple few actually. Killing time. That are pretty much all of those. Killing time is saying on the YouTube side that fitness is 30% work and 70% diet. I will definitely agree with that. I, I get healthier way faster on diet than I ever have. When I was a kid, I would just exercise the shit out of myself and then eat more because I wanted, I was hungry. Uh, and I still lost weight or whatever, but um, I don't know if I was necessarily healthier, but I definitely feel healthier now, and it, I'm lazy, so it's been 100% diet for me. So I definitely agree with you there that the diet can be a much bigger, you know, you can go well, out. Well, if you start putting the right fuel into out. the furnace, man, you start putting the right fuel or the right amount, and, you know, your body's going to burn what it can, and then it's going to take it from other places that are there. So that's it. that's definitely real. Uh, Robbie's saying if you have some ammo boxes, do uh, jump bumps with them. I don't know what that is, but I would say I agree with you. But I think I would probably go with the unless it's not unless it's significantly different in weight, the water in a milk jug, uh, only because if you drop that, it's no big deal. It's not going to break your floor or something, and uh, a little bit easier to hold on to. I've, I've used water jugs before for like hand weights. Oh like yeah, or something. Should be around ten, yeah. Hmm. So I don't know how much we're going to go into this. We're not a health show, but there was an interesting aspect. Obviously, as a shooter, though, uh, the platform you shoot from being consistent and stable is important. So uh, well, and plus, the uh, more massive muscle we are, the more consistent and st steady, stable we can be. Some of those tr the training classes, um, uh, or if you're training uh, for three gun competition or something like that, like there's going to be, uh, you know, what do you call it, like. An intense uh, adrenaline-laden three minutes, or you know, forty-five seconds, or whatever, where that heart is gonna pound. So yeah, you really don't want to have have a coronary on the range. It's important to not have one of those. Henry was saying he walks around with the ankle weights, and I used to do that too. When I was getting in shape, the army, I just put ankle weights on and fill up a backpack with water and go walk and ideally in sand or something soft that's difficult to walk in. Uh, and uh, that can definitely be effective. It's probably a little stressful on you, though, with, on your joints and stuff. It, I hesitate it can to be. I hesitate to do it now because I'm afraid my knees and shit will break out or bust out. But I don't know. Unless you got something else, I think we might as well move along. Sure can. 
All right, so let's see. We are going to head to the next segment of the show, which is the first segment of the show, so we don't have to go to that. We already did it. Uh, but before we break, we will talk about our Patreon. We do also have a Patreon, and uh, obviously we appreciate everybody who supports us over there. It does allow the show to be podcasted. It pays for the bills there. And I'll throw the link in here as soon as I can get to it, and we'll say thanks for that. And we'll move on to... Oh, is today Gun Channel story time again? I guess it is. Or did I put this in the wrong spot? Anyway, do we want to do Gun Channel story time or the gun movie? Um, let's do story time because I don't fully remember this one. I mean, I kind of remember it, but so today we well this segment of the show, what we like to do is um, trying to talk and type at the same time is talk about some of the inside jokes, I guess, or some of the things that go on over at gun channels that kind of turn into uh, sayings or stuff that we all kind of chuckle about. And uh, well, it's almost like um, gun channels lore. Lore, yeah, exactly. So some people I'm sure that are joining recently don't know about some of these things. And I don't know how often this one comes up, but uh, Hug It Out was uh, was a period of time for gun channels when uh, the evening chats were super big and people would do the primetime chats and then all move over to the nighttime chats, the after chats. And I forgot where she was, but there was this female Marine that jumped in. And uh, we've had not as many women as men on gun channels for damn sure, but occasionally we'll get a chick that comes in and uh, hangs out for a bit. And she was a Marine, so she was not uncomfortable hanging out with a bunch of guys talking about guns. It was actually pretty fun. I think one of the neatest things she'd mentioned when she brought up was that she went to the range in high heels and everybody kind of chuckled, but then she said, well, it's because if I'm wearing high heels and I got to use my gun, I don't want that to be the first time I experience shooting and dealing with you know brass on the ground and moving a little bit and drawing nope. without those kind of shoes on. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, except for something, you know, that's maybe dangerous or something. But even then, you know, you're, you know, if you're wearing them, you might as well be aware of it. Anyway, so she had some interesting stuff to bring to the table. I don't want to get into the end of it all, but she ended up leaving in odd, weird circumstances. But somewhere along the way, and I don't honestly remember the exact conversation anymore, maybe DB or somebody uh, who was around in those conversations um, can add to this one. But anyway, she actually, I don't even remember. It was her stalker. She had like the stalker, and that's how it kind of spiraled out, and she eventually left gun channels. But um, yeah, some one of her stories, and she would come in with. I kind of remember that, yeah. Stories, and uh, damn, you know, I don't even remember. I thought I remembered it, but now that I'm getting into the, the I'm just trying to remember where the hug it out portion came in, and it was like, how did it was it was how to settle the argument or dispute or something like that? Yeah, yeah and her stalker was telling her, well, let's just hug it out, and you know, it was somebody who was actually stalking her, and she was like, no effing way. But yeah, that was it. Oh. Wanted to hug it out with her, right? Because you know they were having difficulties because he was stalking her. Now I don't think I'd ever heard that phrase before, hug it out. So. Uh, uh, oh, Enrique, I threw a couple in there for the guys, so you had a couple extra. Um, I've definitely heard it before that, um, except it was usually hug it out, bitches, and then referring to two oh, dudes. Uh, I, well, or in regular everyday life, well, two people it had happened in, having a disagreement. Well, after it happened in gun channels, and maybe because I was aware of it, like I did hear it in a movie or something a couple of times. But I didn't know about it before that. But you're saying just in you've heard it before, just on the street. 
but uh, I had forgotten all about the the stalker part and all and all of that. Uh, I totally remember what you're talking about now. I don't necessarily remember the details of uh, how or why she was interacting with her stalker, or if it really was a stalker per se. But uh, I and uh, it's it's been a long time since I thought about that one. Uh, but I, but I kind of do remember it. And what, that? well, like I say, we won't get into the weird details of how she ended up kind of leaving our group or whatever, but, um, cause that was odd, but, uh, I think it turned into, it evolved into whenever everybody'd be just getting all upset with each other or yelling and screaming in the chats, it would just be a way to end it. Let's go. Well, okay. Let's hug it out. And then everybody knew, okay, let's take a yeah. pause. We're on the damn internet. This isn't real life. So let's just move on. So it's uh, like just straight up chill out. Let's move on uh, or drop it, you know, some some form of either one or all of those. Yeah, it's the slap or the throwing cold water on somebody, the Internet equivalent to that. No, it wasn't. But dude, I honestly never joined gun channels. She just no. it. it was a, it was a Marine chick. Are you ready for it? it was never in the service. I don't think. Or no, wait, no, she was shit. She was. Yeah, she was. Yep. I apologize for, you know, thank you for her service. But uh, no, she wasn't the one. She never joined gun channels. I I I, do, I think I do remember which one you're talking about in particular. I had just literally I mean, totally forgot about the 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 stalker wanting to hug it out. I that's the mind blowing part. I I totally forgot about that craziness. I'm going to suggest we move on from that one because that's just a portion of the show and get Bob to tell us about his freaking adventures in Albuquerque. Posting the picture that Bob sent text. So oh. <laughs> Well, it's a learning lesson. If you get uh, lose your wheel weights off a tire, you should probably put your spare on right away instead of going. Well, it's only forty more miles down the freeway. Forty. And keep wheel weights in San Antonio. Yeah, well, yeah, but there wasn't any real freeway speeds, eh? Okay, four days later, this is what happened. So, what happened? Did it? I'm guessing that the tire shredded and then flopped around like a big wing or something and beat the shit out of your car it exploded it sounded like somebody set off a mine under the truck the truck literally lurched up in the air oh like, so it's not blam 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 this was just a one-time quick boom yeah one big boom uh, <laughs> and uh, miles an hour down the road yeah 70 75 yeah so the truck went basically crashed the fifth wheel. Basically, he could have totally wrecked and died. Basically, your, your hub went to the ground. Then mm-hmm. you you were just driving on your rim. Yeah, it went right to, well. There was bits of tire left. There just was no tread left on it. It was just bits of steel belt and stuff. And Charlie was in my lap because it scared the crap out of him. Well, that had to be fun. <laughs> Twenty-five miles an hour, having your tire explode. The next thing you know giant dog is in your lap in between you yeah it was, it was pretty exciting so <laughs> I had a you didn't kill anybody, anybody in I, well i don't know like i mean it literally it blew the taillight out of the truck it bent the tailgate it bent the bumper it uh, it uh yeah it destroyed the back fender completely it's, was it's, there anybody near you when this happened no i was i was luckily there was nobody near me so Big truck came past me about a, just as I was getting slowed down and pulled over. So he must have seen the pieces come flying off it, but 
Well, that's good. And we got hurt. Now, I'm assuming, though, your 16,000-pound camper on a fifth wheel there, did it bend the axle and shit when it went down to the rim? No, no. No, it didn't. I limped it onto the shoulder and then just changed the tire and continued on. So, uh, are you going to put some bulbs in the back there, or are you not going to worry about your back light being out? I have to do something, yeah, because I got no taillight on the driver's side at all. So I'm thinking uh, I'll buy a, you know, a trailer light and just bolt it to the bumper and just wire that there. You can get those magnetic ones. Yeah, well, yeah the worst, that's the worst part is I have a set of those at home. <laughs> so I'm just going to... Your 18,000 or 16,000 pound camper. Yeah. Well, as long as I'm towing the camper, it's fine. Cause it's got taillights, you know. Yeah. Do they, will they bust you for not having lights on your vehicle when your camper is right there like that? I don't think so because you can't see them anyway, right? So. Okay. And then uh, Sean was. Yeah, but there's going to come a time when you're not attached to the camper, so you got to have it fixed at that time. That's the problem. Sean was so I can either pull a couple. Uh, running lights off the camper and just use those or go to Walmart and spend 16 bucks on a trailer you know, yeah, just tail lamp get out there. The, the, yeah. the electricity, the, the brakes and the lights to your trailer weren't affected, you're not affected? No, actually I was really surprised because like all the plumbing pipes are right behind that tire like, you know and luckily it, none of them got ripped off or anything like that, it didn't seem it left some rubber on the trailer don't smash the trailer up at all so your brakes are okay you didn't ruin your brake lines no 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 because it it uh like the edges of the tire are still on the rim and like part of the steel belts are still attached so it was mostly just i guess the tread coming off but yeah it, the tire is just blowing apart what, like, what, was, I, what was the brand of that tire bob uh you know what was it yeah, it wasn't the tire's fault though. I mean, the other three are fine. It's just because I, I knew I knew it was out of balance because like it was. Yeah, you're going down the freeway at 70 miles an hour, and it's like ah. So yeah, it's my own fault, really. I was gonna say I, so, and now that I'm hearing that, I'm gonna say that you knew it was coming at some point. Then well, if you heard that, I didn't think it would blow apart. I figured it would, you know that I was not doing the tire any good, but, you know, I wanted well, to, here's the thing. to put new tires on the truck anyway, so it was like, yeah, so it'll wear the tire unevenly. That's all I was thinking. Well, and it wouldn't have blown like that if you wouldn't have had hatched. You know, if you would have just been in yeah. your truck, and sure, it might have uh, auto-disassembled, but it probably wouldn't have blown up like that. It was the fact that there's that weight. As you look at it, it's almost right over the axle. So it's pushing down right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. The fifth wheel hitch is right on top of the axle. So so I imagine that that was really what made uh, the results turn out the way they did. The the being out of balance, the going at whatever rate of speed you were, and then the weight on it. it and also realizing that you may have needed to replace them at some point in the near future also. Yeah. Well, I was going to replace them anyway because they were... You know, they weren't bad. They were only two, well, two and a half years old, so they were still, you know, had a fair bit of tread and everything left on them, but it was just, you know, they were tires that were smaller than the kind I really like, and, you know, they were the right size for the truck, but I like bigger tires. 
But anyway, yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm going to replace them anyway. If it damages the tire, it doesn't matter. You know, just didn't think it would actually possibly fail like that and tear the fender off the truck. <laughs> I'm just glad that you're all right and that the dog's okay. Oh, yeah, he's, he's fine. Yeah, after like, after about an hour, he settled right down. <laughs> He'd actually get back in the truck. <laughs> So I, I was showing the picture of the guys earlier on the gun channel side, and Sean was saying, was scolding you for not having a dually on there. So are you thinking about taking that axle out and putting a dually in? Oh, hell no. Duallys are terrible in, in any kind of... They're, they're, the only thing they're really good for is towing a trailer on pavement. You get anywhere off pavement or if you're driving without... Yeah, duallys aren't that good. I don't like them. Right, well, plus, you got to deal with snow. Right, they're terrible in snow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think they'd be better your surface area on the ground. Yeah, when it's more surface area, so that means less weight. So it's slipperier. Oh, I see. And then Tony's kind of joking on the gun channel or on the YouTube side, uh, saying that I exploited it with the uh, gun show loophole tour. But I just want to reiterate that I started the gun show loophole tour, at least the concept of it, a few years ago. Uh, I started to bring it into reality last year, and Bob came down and allowed it to even happen, really. So uh, Bob's a big part of the gun show. So I consider that part of the what we're all yeah. And then in fact, I'll be heading up to Albuquerque here, uh, assuming everything goes according to plan uh, this week or next week. And hook uh, up with Bob. We're going to go check out some more of the Red Dawn shooting locations. I think we figured out uh, the road that they filmed the part where the they're in that gas station loading up. Or no, later on when the guy goes when the tank goes to the gas station, she drives up on the bicycle and they steal her basket and she like runs off and they jump out of the hidey holes. We figured out where that was from. Yeah. Check that out. And then, uh, yeah. you know, with our friends in Albuquerque. And, well, depending on how it goes, maybe over in, uh, our friends up in um, Santa Fe. So hopefully we'll continue on with the tour a bit, a bit here. Yeah. Might as well. So I got a good spare on there now, so. <laughs> so the next thing would be. And I have no idea. Yes. Oh, what is this? Uh, when you're in. Oh, yeah, you did. Come uh, German. Oh, it's German. Like a quarth or different? Kind of, yeah. I think it's not quite as nice. But uh, it's a MR88 uh, revolver, 3 for 7 Magnum. Uh, just a, a really nice quality made revolver. I've shot them a couple times, so I quite like them. Well, it looks like a really Look grip, It's like a Colt up front. Look at that grip where your thumb goes. You think that, that I think that's going to be pretty comfortable, man. I was going to say the opposite. That looks really weird. I mean, oh, that's a target grip, man. You know what I mean? Or at least I think that is. Yeah, When you get a consistent grip, like it makes you conform to it, and that's consistency usually for accuracy, right? Well, and one of the other things, I can't tell for sure just from that, that picture, but I may assume that the, like the tang or whatever it is, is not exposed. And that right there is going to give you more of a level of comfort than when it goes down the back and your grip is in two pieces or what have you. Oh, yeah. There's a cushion back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks like a heavy barrel, adjustable sights, and obviously more than four inches long. This is a suppressor that comes with it, I'm assuming? That's a six-inch barrel on it, yeah. 
Yeah, no. Buy in for $1,800? Wow. Yeah, they're a little pricey. <laughs> a little. German craftsmanship, you know. Don't yeah. you know? So it's like the difference between buying a Hyundai and a BMW. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice, nice revolver. I've shot them a couple times there. They're nice triggers. Probably one of the reasons that they are what they are, that that German craftsmanship, you know. Yeah, they they seem to be pretty much hand-fitted. <laughs> but, you know, to, to the extent of some of them, but... Well, yeah. you also didn't realize that was a Canadian number on there, yes? Yeah, so, I mean, that's... So that know, might 18, not actually be 1,800 so be more, bucks. Yeah, it'd be more like 1,200 here so which, which is about the going price for a well okay i take that back i was gonna say that's about the price of a performance center gun from uh smith and wesson or something like that um i don't know it looks nice yeah, it really looks nice there's definitely a difference when Bob does the gun of the day. He always brings in guns that are new and different, where we just talk about something that you had to do with the movies. So thanks, Bob, for doing that. Oh, uh, absolutely. But let's talk about the movie. So this one was sent in to us from one of our uh, listeners via email. We encourage anybody that wants to participate in any part of the show, any of the segments, uh, to email us at dailygunshow at gmail.com. But every day we like to feature one of the related movies out there, something that you haven't seen in a while, or if you're a youngin', something you ain't seen yet. Today it's to hell and back. Have you guys seen this one? I don't think I have. Is this John Wayne movie? Uh, well then wait. I maybe I take that back. Uh, and plus I can't. I can't. John Wayne. Uh, Audrey, Audie Murphy. Oh, oh a real World War Two hero. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I, I I can't remember. It's it's either John Wayne or Audie Murphy. I don't remember which. Though. Well, it was Audie Murphy, and I'm bringing it up on the Imperdible. Uh, it says, huh. To Hound Back is the 1955 biopic focusing on the early life and wartime exploits of Audie Murphy, the most decorated right. soldier of World War II. Oh, so this is his one movie that he filmed in, right? The film yeah. began in childhood in Texas, where he became the head of a family at a young age that follows his enrollment in the Army, where he was assigned to the 3rd Infantry Division. He fought in North Africa, Sicily, and Italy before landing in southern France and eventually fighting in Germany. In addition to being a Medal of Honor recipient, he also received battle honors from the French and Belgian government. Uh, for the scenes in set in World War II, he portrays himself. The battle scenes were reused from 1967, The Young Warriors. So, yeah, this is a, definitely an important movie. I'm glad we're bringing this one up. So thanks, whoever sent this one in. Um, this, Audie Murphy is, the, like it says, the most uh, decorated. Uh, World War II veteran, I believe, was what he was about to say. World War II soldier. And... and the thing is, he came back and became a movie star because he was, you know, partially I'm sure that they made him a movie star was because he was a hero. Um, but uh, to then be able to act in the movie about his exploits and his, you know, life, you know, and and, and the great part about it, Audie Murphy was this little guy. He was not a big guy, but you know, he was the most gutsy and tough as oh, Dude, he was TNT and nitroglycerin. Yep. 
Yep. And just balls of guts. Like bags of guts. I shouldn't say balls of guts. Balls of steel, but bags of guts. I mean, you know, he may have been scared when he was doing some of those things, but, you know, he didn't let it stop him. Like, the stuff he did, like, you just, you read about it and go, that can't be real. And yet, yeah, oh, yeah, it was. Like, stood on top of a, of a tank destroyer that was on fire and continued to fire the Maudus off the top of it to keep the Germans back, you know. And, and back then, you know, like, tank destroyers ran on gasoline, you know. So this thing's on fire. He's on top of it firing, you know, a 50 cal at German tanks and stuff coming at him. Like, <laughs> It's just, it's a, I read the book before I ever saw the movie, and yeah, it's just, realize that he actually played himself in the movie, you know, I mean, the man still looked that good that he could play himself as a young man, you know, 15 years or 10 years later. Well, Angry American makes a very valid point. He had to play himself because no one else was badass enough, and that, you know, that may be the truth. Yep. And yet, from all, from all I've heard, was also one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. He was, he was polite. He was, you know, respectful. <laughs> Just, yeah, you, something different. That's for sure. Yep, this is definitely a movie worth watching. Go back and watch it, and and it's one of those like thirteen hours or something where it's got another significance to it because it's not just. A, war movie or an action flick it's this guy's autobiography or it's his biography and uh built it or created at a time when the surplus and the uniforms and everything are completely authentic it's all still available and uh probably seen i don't know if it was filmed on location but uh i'm assuming that with his influence it wasn't unrealistic he's not good you know, it wasn't just a movie for movie's sake it was almost documenting a story worth telling that needs to be yeah, it was pretty good. It was, uh, you know, there was a lot of guys died that, you know, that you wouldn't have seen in a normal type movie like that. You know, like his best friend and stuff. And and they didn't die pretty, although it was nothing graphic like they have today. Um, it showed that as much as they could in those days, the, the a little bit of the horror of war. The realness. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the whole point of this segment of the show is to remind you of an interesting movie. And, uh, Again, if you haven't seen this one in a while, or if you haven't seen it yet, I highly encourage you to check it out. And I don't know where it's available. Um, it's available someplace. I don't know if I've ever looked for it. I don't can't say I saw it on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. I might have seen it on Netflix not long ago, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. And Mr. Wright just reminded us that the Manurian is French, not German. Oh my god, I, I mixed up the French and the Germans? That's bad. That could cause another war. Hey, that, that's why some of the best people in the world are our listeners. Our audience. Right, man. Right on. That's yeah. right. He's right, and I should have remembered that too, because there was... Uh, uh, never mind. Well, with that, I think we can wrap it up. Um, that'll be the end of 289, episode 289. It's been an excellent show. Uh, reason we build a platform like this is so that we can you know, use it as an opportunity for stuff like this. So uh, hopefully we've got a new, uh, a more regular guest here. We'll try to get Carl on again, talk about some of the other things he's uh, interested in and aware of. And 
Oh, it's a hell of a show. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And you guys have anything else? No, I think I'm pretty good. I'm all good. I think we hit it all. So hopefully everybody enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern or Pacific. I guess I should also mention today's Thursday, isn't it? We forgot about that. It is going to you know, I'll have the AK-47 chat here in a bit. I'll probably start it in about an hour or so. If anybody wants to sit around and talk about AKs for too long, uh, we'll definitely wear you out. All right. Um, so I guess on that note, we'll end you up with our usual quote. And this quote um, actually came, it was kind of appropriate uh, for what we're talking about with Carl. Um, and it's a quote by um, George Washington, so you're your first president. If freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. And uh, on that note, uh, I'd like to remind everybody, please subscribe, share, and uh, thumbs up. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Yes, be warriors in the new battle for the new media. Guys and gals of gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thanks for watching gunwebsites.com.